From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 116 of the Killing It podcast. This is Carl, joined today by Ryan and Dave, and we're just uh, sitting at home, but I'm I'm getting ready to go. I'm uh, I'm going to be traveling within uh, the month, so it'll be good. I'm getting a car. Good. Does that count? I'm doing a long weekend. John and I are doing a weekend <laughs> away thing, but it's going to be a car. So. Wait, I didn't know that counted. Okay. No, I hate in in this world at this stage that absolutely counts as an adventure. We had a uh, family barbecue at the uh, at the grandparents' estate uh, over the weekend, and the one thing I hadn't anticipated because it's been a million years since we've done anything like that, we came back and literally everything smelled like smoke from the campfire. I was like, "What is that smell? What is going on?" And then I was like, "Oh." The outside, it happened. Yeah, that's that's my backyard barbecue. Is that's what I come in smelling like the bacon. <laughs> it's not. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to a potluck dinner. I mean, you know, it's just all kinds of goodness. So, Absolutely. I'm definitely getting out. I, I have no. I have no opportunity to be on a plane in calendar year 2021. That's not to say I'm averse to it. It's just the no, no opportunity has, has now. I have one for next year, but right now it's uh, nothing. On the as as you pointed out, uh, you know, I think people are more likely to jump on the plane for family and personal than they are for business. So my first trip will be to Nashville with a friend who is going to you know be celebrating a, a wedding, and then we're just going to hang out in Nashville. That sounds so, like fun. Uh, it'll be see and we yeah we we have a new addition arriving in the family in july so we're, we'll be traveling to go for that purpose and and it will involve an airplane ride i've we've done it already this year i feel like i broke the seal i'm 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 ready to go and apparently by the way so is everybody else in the country because if you haven't checked recently the price of rental cars or airplane tickets if you haven't looked at it recently, you're in for a rude surprise. Yeah, I haven't looked. <laughs> well, and I got to say, it's it's interesting. I would say the answer to rental cars is get an Uber or a Lyft, but there's like 12 drivers left in America. For all so. of the country, 12 drivers. <laughs> like, you're all in a death, fight to the death for the 12 Uber drivers. <laughs> but a thousand of them to bring food. <laughs> yes. Uber knows what they did. They know why it's happening. Exactly. What you do is you, you order your food, the Uber driver shows up and they say, okay, now deliver this food to my friend across exactly. town. With me in the car. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll sit in the back seat. Excellent business model. Well, this week we're brought to you by our friends at Acronis. Are you still relying on a frustrating patchwork of legacy solutions? Modernize your cybersecurity and data protection with Acronis CyberProtect Cloud. It's a single solution that combines backup, anti-malware, and endpoint protection management. As an MSP, you can easily improve client security posture, eliminate complexity, and generate more recurring revenue. Learn more about Acronis CyberProtect Cloud at Acronis.com. So I've got first topic this one because it is it is 
appropriately badass. <laughs> the the FBI <laughs> created their own app in conjunction with the Australian government, uh, and they snagged hundreds of bad guys. They brought about 9,000 active users, 12,000 total users, into a encrypted communications network that the FBI built and happened to have all the back doors and were tracking the whole thing. They had some massive number. They had a grand total of 800 arrests, seizures of more than eight tons of cocaine, 22 tons of marijuana, two tons of meth, six tons of precursor chemicals, 250 firearms, more than $48 million in worldwide currencies. The FBI drops a bomb on the criminal community. How about that one, guys? I have to say, first of all, cheers. Let's you know all stand and applaud the FBI. Oh, the, applaud! Oh, big applause for the for the for the for the, the single best thing about this for me is that it's a it's a long long play, and I have to say the juxtaposition between the United States and Russia today is quite stark. When you think about the long play of something like solar winds, that that attack was years in the making, years in the planning, lots of detailed uh, stuff going on in the background. This was too, but they were doing it for evil, and we are literally doing it to stop the people who are, you know, uh, coming after the rest of us. The coolest thing maybe about this technology is. They literally created an app that gave them a blind CC copy of every message sent by all the bad guys on the dark web for five years. Like, that's pretty impressive. It's a very modern digital application of a very traditional and long-standing police practice, right? Uh, we will set up a sting by offering prizes in a lottery or uh, special deals on real estate. They've been doing this in the FBI and in local policing applications around the country literally for decades. They just tweaked it for the digital world, which I think on two fronts, number one, well done. Number two, now all of us nerds in the industry get to go back out and go, hey, we're not just sitting in our rooms clicking on keyboards. We can change things in the real world and we can be an indispensable tool for law enforcement. I think that's quite the credibility gain for folks who do software for a living. What's, what I still struggle with on this whole issue, and I, you know, and, I, and I feel like I'm a broken record over on Business of Tech because I feel like I'm constantly reporting on issues and they're constantly the same root causes, right? It's always the same thing. Didn't patch, didn't securely secure with passwords. Like it's always the same stuff. And what I feel like gets lost in all of this is the incredible sophistication of the the criminals and the other side of this. I am fascinated to cover this space from the perspective of this is such smart crime. Like, don't get me wrong, it's totally illegal. I'm against it morally, like all of that kind of stuff. But I tip my hat all the time at the sophistication of the organizations that we are fighting against. And I feel like there's something missing in the way this gets translated out. I've, I've said this before that I think the language is all wrong on this because we always use such sterile language around cybercrime and it ends up being this kind of boring thing that people don't think of when it's like, it's gangsters. Like it's gangsters running around with Glocks. Like it's, it's super 
It is way more dramatic and interesting than we give it credit for, but the consequence of that is, is that it's overlooked by most until potentially recently as it's starting to hurt people like at the pump and at the burger stand like you know like maybe we're breaking through on this but not for the right reasons <laughs> see but dave i'll give you a kudo here on that one because you were one of the very first to stand up and say let's stop calling it something technical and just refer to it as crime well I'm not sure if they listened to our podcast or if it just was a good enough idea that the federal government has actually officially announced that now they will treat cybercrime as the same level of priority and urgency as terrorism. Now, that's true internationally as well as domestically. And if you get inside of that particular government announcement, I'm, I'm interested to see again to one of your points are there any teeth of consequences behind that escalation in terminology? But the very first battle you have to win in any of these things is the marketing battle. If you if you just think it's some arcane, weird, uh, isolated technical thing that only technical people need to deal with, no one's going to take it seriously. I continue to be fascinated by the number of people who have nothing to do with our industry and have never understood when I tried to explain it. Like, no, this is what we do. This is hardware, this is software, this is how it works. And it just over their heads for years. And now they're the ones in conversations bringing up, hey, do you see that thing about that cybersecurity thing? That's disappointing that it's finally prime time, but it's actually kind of effective because now the society might actually be willing to do something about well this was not intended to be an fbi recruitment technique but i gotta say i'll bet it <laughs> is doing exactly that right now because who wants to go into a boring job you know doing it or doing programming or whatever but when the when the bad guys and i know dave doesn't like that term because it undercuts how bad they really are but uh, the bad guys are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in salaries because they've got ransomware money. Well, maybe we are too. I don't know what, what salaries we're paying, but I think we're getting some really good talent who are willing to put in long-term efforts. And the, the other good piece of news out of this is if this is the one we found out about, there's more we haven't found out about. Oh, and it's good to say that about the good guys for once. <laughs> well, to, to be to be clear on that, I'm comfortable with bad guys, although I think criminals or, or <laughs> mafia or gangsters, like like I want the stronger language where I push back on is is the the air the words like attacker or breach or incident like these these very casual light words that, that, that right that, that make you make you not actually have the visceral emotional connection to it as i i, I say all the time and i will like because it's important if this was happening in the streets we'd be having a completely different scenario people breaking into businesses holding hostages like like that would be a very different reaction it's nice to see police work that's replicating that I think it's uh, the, my takeaway and what I keep beating on because we've got to change the status quo is providers need to talk about this differently to make the threat tangible. Well, and this, it's also nice that this was a massive international effort uh, against drugs at the source, uh, not, you know, arresting 12 year olds for 
uh, being buyers of the drugs, right? Yep. It, it's literally, you're, you're talking about people who are creating and moving millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. So uh, kudos to the FBI and everybody who helped them out. Well done, law enforcement. All righty, so our next topic. We love to talk about artificial intelligence. And from time to time, we have a story. And we have been more and more in the last 12 months talking about how we want to make sure that there's some ethics tied to it and there's some accountability and so forth. And I have to say this story that we're going to link to uh, from Wired Magazine about the AI Hall of Shame is worth taking a look at. This is basically um, examples of, hey, you don't want to be on the Hall of Shame. You don't want to be the uh, either the database developer or the state agency or whoever uh, that uses AI improperly without thinking about the ethics, without thinking about uh, how things should be done, um, you know, misusing it for, for things. The number one question arising in the world of AI seems to be, okay, but should we do it? And I, I like the question that gets asked in a little ways down in this article is, um, have you thought about how you're making a dystopia, right? Whether intentionally or unintentionally, what are the consequences of what you're doing? And you know, all of the fears about computers going literally back to the 1940s and 50s, every movie where the computer takes over the universe um, really is a movie about artificial intelligence. And uh, we're now at the point where maybe those reels, those uh, uh, moves could become reality. And so we, we need to be aware of it and just make sure we use things properly. Is this the Darwin list for AI? Like, is, is this is this that like is this the list of things that you forward around to your friends and say, don't look at all these stupid things that happen. Uh, and I say that because it's funny, but I also say say it because that's the kind of thinking that actually does work from a marketing perspective to break through on a messaging. Right. When when you use things like Hall of Shame and, and use Darwin lists or, or those kinds of things, they stick with people because of the emotional reaction, right? Like being being funny, being absurd, getting through, cuts through and makes it tangible for people in terms of the incidents. So, you know, like I would encourage providers to be looking at this because it helps you with your thinking about the way I want to apply technology, particularly artificial intelligence, but in general, to make sure that I've thought of the downside. Well, and that's the thing, Carl, you made the point earlier um, that if there's one going on that we know about, there's probably many more that we don't know about. Let's apply that very same logic to the world of AI. If there is an AI incident, right? If there's, if we've seen an article about an ethical concern in artificial intelligence, if we have seen an application that's doing good things with artificial intelligence and, and, and it's a tangible business case, those are two of 2,000 mature implementations that people are presently working on behind the scenes, whether from a technical, it's not ready for prime time point of view, or from a business, I'm not ready to launch and support this thing or take it IPO or acquisition. There's a lot of stuff going on in AI, and this is a tangible way to bring it forward. I particularly like the way this article looks at it and says, this 
AI feels different, it's weird, it's advanced, nobody understands it, but as a category, it's just like aviation or automotive or consumer products. If there's a consumer product that has a safety issue and they get punished for it, that's nice and they might change their behavior. A company might stop making unsafe products. But you know what would make them much more likely to stop making dangerous products? Put it on the evening news and publicize right. it all day long. That's where we're going with this thing here. It's good to know that somebody is watching and starting to keep a tally because I know none of us are going to pay that much attention to keep up with the thousands of implementations that w only one of them has to go really, really wrong to create the dystopia. Another thing that I thought was interesting, if you go to the actual incident base, which we're going to link to, um, Anonymous, whoever that is, uh, has uh, submitted 583 articles. And then there's two individuals who have submitted 376 and 209 articles each. And it's like, wow. So <laughs> if you think about how big the database is, there are two primary people who like spend all their time looking for weird stuff about AI and have submitted things to the wall of shame. Um, but obviously this is going to grow, but it's, you know, I just like the fact that uh, if there's 1,200 incidents so far, uh, we've already got a place to go look and keep track of these things. And I, I have to admit, I now have this bookmarked. So this will not be the last story about the wall of shame. Oh, Car Carl's going to be mining this thing. <laughs> so, Dave, to, to your point earlier, right, some of the things that are in this database are legitimately humorous. They're things that we intended to do that worked out really poorly. And the only consequence was that we all get a good chuckle out of it. That's nice. We should publicize those things so that people continue to up their game with AI. But I'm sure not all 1,200 of those are chuckle-worthy. I'm sure some of them are downright dangerous and we ought to be paying attention to what's going on out there. Apparently, a couple of really passionate power users are contributing most of it so far let's let's get a few more of the wide world of people who are participating in this stuff maybe even insiders who can spill the beans on things that are not going as intended that's kind of how we the sunshine that keeps all industries on their game or researchers <laughs> well also uh you know with a database that's big enough you should be able to say okay what are the things like where where does AI lead to racism? Where does AI lead to inappropriate uh, information for children? Where does AI lead to abuse of systems? And then, OK, let's use that to help make guidelines so that as AI programmers who are heads down trying to solve one problem, check through the, the list and don't create additional problems. Um, because that's, you know, most of this is completely unintentional. We are trying to fix a problem A and, you know, a robot ended up killing somebody. Okay, so that's, you know, something that can be can be and should be avoided, right? Um, so let's let's build those things. It's such a nice system. way of putting it. We should avoid killing people. Like that just as a general rule. We <laughs> should I'm avoid all killing for avoiding killing people. I mean, when whenever <laughs> it is possible, that would be a good idea. 
All right, let's move to our third topic. And while while it might sound like we got a theme, we totally didn't do this on purpose. It just this, these are the things that are happening in the world. We move from law to order. And I was hoping somebody would give me a dun 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 dun. dun. Um, so we first talked about good things that the FBI is doing to catch the bad guys out there. Now we're going to link to an article about a ruling from the Supreme Court on the uh, on an incident. A former police officer in the state of Georgia uh, was actually involved in an incident where he took some money to use his computer to inappropriately slash illegally, depending on whether you're a lawyer, um, access a license plate database. He took money for it and then a lost his job through this whole thing and was charged with two different crimes. One was about actually using the information improperly and then a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Now that's the one that we're going to focus on because very recently the Supreme Court actually came down with a ruling that said according to the way the law is currently written, he didn't actually break that law because CFAA, as it is known, Fraud and Abuse Act, is essentially about hacking. It's about breaking the system and using it in ways it was not intended. And that's not what he did. He used a computer he had in a way that it was designed to be used. And so they say, okay, that means he didn't break the law. I see all kinds of trouble with that ruling, but I'd love to get your insights on it, guys, from both the, the legal perspective as well as the technical perspective. Uh, what do you think about this ruling? I, I got to say, I don't have a problem with the ruling. The, the law says, you know, that you exceeded your authorized access. So the intention is, by you know, as a nerd, that did you hack into a part of the program that you weren't supposed to be accessing? No, he didn't do that. He used a part that he had access to to do something that was illegal for other reasons, and he should have lost his job, and he did lose his job, and that's all good. But you have also have to remember, this law was written in 1986, so literally eight years before the World Wide Web came into existence. So, yes, we had an internet. Nobody was on it except, you know, me and three other people. So, you know, the, the, the concepts of what you're thinking about, the law needs to be updated and the law needs to actually take uh, account of what we constitute as, as a computer network today. Um, so, you well, know, let's, so, anyway, I, I think it's totally a three decision. non-lawyers having debates about law. So that's always, let's start the conversation there. But, but we are not lawyers. Um, <laughs> but but what, where I, it's interesting, I mean, I, and I want to parse the words for a minute. So, so, for example, I might make a solid argument that this law does not need to be changed that this law applies to a set of circumstances that existed in 1986, that we know what those are. For example, if you're thinking about the idea of an external user who is breaking in, to use you know, par the parlance of physical, 
that is what this law intended. There, we have now recognized as a society that there are other use cases, to use the technical parlance, there are other cases where you are not authorized for an activity within a system you are authorized to use or misuse. And this is where either new laws are introduced, an old one is changed, or case law, meaning it gets fought out through the courts and rulings, help us determine what those are. This is where, you know, so, so it's, it's, we use the word law to mean lots of things. It can mean the general class or the individual bits. Now, why, where are you going with all this, Dave? Where I'm going with all this is the fact that I, this is where we do need people that are knowledgeable in these technical elements to help those drafting laws deliberating on laws, ruling on laws, get guidance in order to make sure that we are covering all of the use cases that we need to cover. And we need to recognize that, by the way, we are going to generally be moving in a field faster than, than the field of legal jurisprudence moves. We're going to be inventing use cases that they have not thought of faster than they can implement regulation and law. So the more we can create the, the guidance and direction with smart people involved, that's the opportunity. And for anybody that, that I, you know, every, I bring this up every time, and the reason I spend a lot of time thinking about this is not because I am so, so pushing such an element of like, oh my God, we need all of these things. I'm actually more worried about the problems of bad regulation than I am worried about no regulation. <laughs> That's why I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I want us, we know we need to do something, so getting it right matters. See, and, and I think that's an important distinction. I think each of you made a very good addition to this conversation. Carl, your point of view, by the letter of the law, it probably was entirely an accurate application and the ruling was correct. Dave, to your point, the problem that we continue to run into is trying to stretch existing laws to fit unanticipated use cases and that never works out well whether it's in this case with the CFAA or as everybody's been uh, you know spending a lot of time thinking about recently around section 230 these are laws that were written before current capabilities they weren't just not deployed yet they hadn't even been contemplated yet there's no way that a law written back then could accurately apply to a scenario on modern technologies. But I, I'll go back, Dave, where you are. Whether that is legislators or judges or lawyers, the degree to which our technology has outpaced the knowledge base of our so-called experts who are keeping our society from steering off the tracks, uh, 20 years ago, it was a little bit of an issue. 10 years ago, it was a huge issue. As these things go, it is now a, it's now a social defining issue that we need to get people in law fields who actually understand technology. And if that can't be the officials themselves, well, then they need to start engaging with experts, i.e. all the people listening to this podcast. Uh, Y'all need to start selling consulting contracts and advisory engagements to law firms and to courts and to the Congress and the state legislatures where you live to teach these folks, no, that's not actually what that technology means. 
put down the remote control and let me teach you. Well, by the, and by the way, I will put on my little, I'll get on my little soapbox and move it out from underneath <laughs> my desk, right? This, this is where, interestingly, that's called lobbyists. And this is why industry associations generally have engagement. I keep bemoaning, where's ours? Like, where's the ones that services IT, IT services companies that are of, of, of the size and scope that focus on the general commercial space? I'm not talking about big government contractors. I'm not talking about big tech themselves. I'm talking about this space. There's an opening here. And uh, say what you know. Say what you will on this. You'll generate money at it. <laughs> There's a there is money to be had in them. There are hills. Uh, and I've been surprised to not see more movement in this space. Well, I would like to toot my own horn and say that you know that I have recently published some manifesto quality posts on my blog. Um, I, I I have lots of opinions along these lines, but. In general, I think we need to be available to give the advice that Ryan is suggesting, but somebody has to make an opening. Somebody has to say, hey, I need an expert witness. I need somebody who can can speak to us and, and give us this information. Um, so far, the government's not asking for it, and uh, people offering it up are not, are not finding a huge base of support to say, yeah, Go fix that stuff. So it gets fixed by the courts when people bring cases and want to parse out terminology. Well, so maybe the end, maybe where we're going is, is are we getting to the confluence of this changing? You know, we and, and as technologists, we always think it moves faster than it does. But but I keep wondering the like how much to our first stories, right? How much pain from a cybercrime can we take before? Uh, incidents get pushed back on by society. I ask that question a lot. I don't know the answer entirely, but I ask the question. I mean, and I, I would argue, I think we have arrived at that point because to our previous discussion, if ransomware and sophisticated cyber crime and other really nuanced pieces of technology are now dinnertime conversation for non-technology professionals, well then dot 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 it is high time that the experts also get educated on this stuff and that our legal systems catch up so that they don't become completely ineffective against the new forms of technology. Well, sadly that is it. For today, we're out of time, but I think that we have enough stories coming down the road. We'll be around for at least the rest of the year. So we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to episode 116 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.